Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. One God, amen. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit now and ever and unto the ages of all ages. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Hopefully you're having a good long weekend. You know, it's rare that the gospel or the passage of the gospel is the same gospel that is read in actually all three services that lead up to this service. So the, the Vesper service, so yesterday evening, we read the gospel and we heard the feeding of the 5,000. And then this morning in Maddens, we heard the same gospel, but from a different uh, evangelist. And then in the, in the um, liturgy, or the one that we just heard, we hear of the same gospel, again, the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000, uh, according to St. Luke. And this is such an amazing miracle, but it's not a miracle that we should just sit here and say, wow, this is a great miracle. Wow, you know, he fed 5,000 men plus 5,000 women and 5,000 children. So anywhere between 10 to 15,000 people that he fed with five loaves and two fish. There are definitely lessons that you and I need to learn from this particular um, this particular miracle. And this miracle is actually sandwiched between two powerful events. The first event or the top layer is that if you read a little bit earlier in the Gospel of St. Luke chapter 9, you hear and you see the apostles and it says, and the apostles when they had returned told them all that they had done. What did they do and what was done through them? There was a lot of things that happened right before this miracle that the Lord sent out the disciples two by two and they went and they came back and they told him, Lord, we healed in your name and demons were cast out in your name. So there was a lot of things that happened before this particular um, miracle. And then this miracle happened and then after in the miracle you see that later on Jesus, it says in John chapter 6, and they said, so when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. Disciples, you just saw Jesus feed 5,000 people or 15,000 people from five loaves and two fish. And now that you see him walking on the water, you are afraid it's funny that the disciples suffered from this short-term memory That's it's something that you and I probably could relate to. I know I could. I could relate to this type of short-term memory of all the amazing things that God has done in my life and that God is doing in my life, yet I am still afraid in certain areas of my life. The gospel of today is about the feeding of the 5,000 and a lot of us are familiar with this familiar with it and maybe we're too familiar with it because we kind of tune out maybe when it comes to this particular gospel or this particular miracle why because we've heard it a million times we know the story we know the story that there was many people that were listening to Christ and they came and so forth and he was sitting there and preaching to them and so forth yet there's definitely lessons and that he fed them with barely five loaves and two fish with just five loaves and two fish, they were all filled. 
There are definitely lessons that you and I need to, to learn from this. Remember that Jesus walked on earth for three years in his public ministry. And everything that he did, he was teaching his disciples how to be great leaders. He was teaching the disciples how they ought to depend on him. Everything he taught, every miracle he worked, he knew that this would leave an impact on the disciples and that it should leave an impact on you and I as well. You know, look what happened even right before this miracle occurred. In verses 12 and 13, it says, When the day began to wear away, the twelve came to him saying, Send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provision. For we are in a deserted place here. The miracle hasn't happened yet. 13. He says, But, you say, but he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they answered and they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy and food for all of these people in john chapter 6 where where we hear this gospel uh, this miracle as well it says then jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming towards them he said to philip where shall we buy bread that these may eat but this he said to test him for he himself knew what he would do it is clear from the beginning that Jesus was using this miracle to teach the disciples something. It's clear that this, Jesus was using this miracle to teach us also about something. You know, from the accounts of the other evangelists, it's interesting to see, you know, that the disciples were talking about this problem before facing, you know, uh, Jesus or even before like they were they were just talking about the problem they were concerned about the people I could just imagine the disciples at this point that the disciples Jesus is standing and preaching to the 5,000 and he saw multitudes of people and he is preaching and the day is going on and it's a long long day and they are hungry and I bet you Jesus out of his humor he's probably teaching about bread of life and about water and about water wine into water and he's teaching all these things that like kind of like making their mouths water and the disciples are probably sitting on the side like Jesus come on like maybe you should preach about something else don't make the people think about food because we are in a deserted place here maybe you should just you know stop preaching about bread and about water and about food teach about something else yet he goes to Philip in this pop quiz and he tells him Philip where are we going to find enough food for all of these people? Where are we going to find enough food for all these people? The disciples didn't know that they were about to see one of the most memorable miracles that they could uh, carry in their heart. They didn't know, but they knew that they were going to learn a lesson from this. And one of the lessons that you and I should learn this morning is that we shouldn't measure. It's called the yardstick lesson don't measure a problem or a challenge according to your own ability this is what the disciples did when peter came, when philip was asked where what are we going to do to feed these people he told them like we can't find enough food like he was measuring it with his own ability he limited god and he said 
there's not enough food. And even in one of the Gospels, it says, even if we had X amount of money, we would not be able to buy enough food to feed all these people. Don't measure it according to your own ability. That's the wrong measuring stick. A lot of times when we use the wrong measuring method, we get discouraged. When I say we're going from, I don't know, if I tell my kids from here, we're going to, I don't know, if we're going to a trip to Ottawa or Montreal or wherever we're going, and they say, okay, and they're like, how far is Ottawa from here? And I tell them it's, I don't know, 1 million... 500,000 seconds. It's going to take us that long to get there. It's a little bit discouraging because I'm using the wrong metrics. I'm using the wrong measure. I'm using se seconds when I should be using hours. It's much easier to say it's going to take, it's going to take us three hours. Don't worry, it's not. But those numbers are discouraging. When we measure things with the wrong measuring stick, we become discouraged. It's the same thing. The disciples used the wrong stick, the wrong measuring tool. They measured things according to their own ability. Anytime you face a problem or a challenge and you feel small next to the problem, there will be no way that you will be able to overcome that problem. Unless you go back and you say that I believe in a big God. The world today needs Christians that believe in a big God. You know, one of the things that Father Bishoy always taught me, and when he sits with me, he tells me, he's like, tell me your dream, or dream big. And you know, like, we know when, you, when you're partnered with somebody that's a visionary, it's, it's hard, because like, visionaries like, see like 10 years ahead of time. Like for people like myself, no, I don't see 10 years ahead of time. So when he says like, okay, dream big, you know, he is so dependent on a, on a big God. And that's what he's saying. Because he's measuring with the right stick. He's not limiting things to our own ability. That's what we do. We do a lot of times in circumstances. We face problems and we say that this problem is impossible. Philip replied, it would take a small fortune to feed all of them. He looked at Jesus and says, what are you talking about? This question that you're asking me about feeding the 5,000. What are you talking about? I can't imagine, like, if I was in Philip's spot, what I would have said. Like, I don't know, like, what I would have said. Like, if somebody came to me and said, okay, today you're going to feed all these people. God bless our kitchen ministry. Every, every week they feed, you know, five, six hundred people. I don't know how they do it. But I look out and I say, okay, if we're going to feed, you're going to ask me to go feed 500 people. My first thing is, I'm calling Amira. I'm like... You deal with this because this is not my department. But Philip, what did he do? Philip kind of just said like, no, there's not enough money. There's not enough resources. My abilities are not enough for this. I don't know how we're going to solve this. Basically, he was put in an impossible situation. He looked around. He saw 5,000 men. He saw probably 5,000 women and another 5,000 children and said, that's 15,000 people. There is, this is an impossibility to feed this. But you and I have to remember one thing. That Jesus loves impossible situations. He's God. Impossible circumstances don't bother him. Can you imagine that if they came to Jesus at the summit and said, the people are hungry. 
And Jesus started to pace back and forth and bite his fingernails because he was nervous because he didn't know what he was going to do? Of course not. An impossible situation for God is not an... Imp there is no impossibilities for God. He loves impossible situation. Jesus is the one we have to remember that he healed the woman after being sick for 12 years. She probably tried every single doctor in that town and yet she wasn't healed. Impossible situation in her mind, but yet she was healed. He was the one that healed the man that was sick for 38 years. 38 years that he was crippled and so forth. It seemed like an impossibility. I don't know about you, but if I was waiting for healing for 38 years, I probably would have given up after eight years. <laughs> I don't know. What, what, like, I would have said, okay, it's impossible to be healed at this point. 38 years, an impossible situation that turned possible because of Jesus was in the situation. He loves impossible situations. Some of us right now may be sitting and that we feel that we are in impossible situations. That maybe, you know, I have a relationship that is going a little bit south right now. And I feel that it's an impossible situation. Or maybe it's more on a personal level. I feel like I can't forgive this, this person. Why? Because this person's not nice and this person is evil and this person, whatever it is. I feel this is an impossible situation. You're asking me to do something impossible. Maybe we, we're in a, you know, it's in our family, our personal life, our business. There's an impossible. It's impossible for me to be the husband and the father that you call me and you want me to be. It's impossible for me to be the wife and the mother to these children that you want me to be. At least with this husband that you have given me. You know, we think that these are all impossible situations. My parents are impossible to deal with. My parents are impossible to deal with. All of these impossibilities are not impossible when it comes to Jesus. He provides, impossibilities will provide the perfect test. Jesus did test Philip. He tested the disciples. Jesus allowed his disciples, you know, to go through a certain struggle. And what was happening was that a miracle was going to happen. But mark my words, that Jesus didn't test his disciples to grade them. Jesus tested his disciples and he puts us through tests, not because he wants to grade us, but because he wants to grow us. A lot of us, when, Jesus, when God tests us, it's not to grade us, it's to grow us. God tests us to grow us, not in the ways that you and I think. There's a video that we'll play. Bono, do you have that video? We'll play a little video that I just want to show you about uh, little tests here and there. It's, it's from the Lion King. And this popped up actually just, I'm going to say randomly, it popped up on my, uh, uh, my Instagram. But now you know what I search for in Instagram is Lion King. Um, but it's so important for us to understand that, that God doesn't allow impossible situations in our life in order to grade us. Did you pass this test? You know, most of our life is about that. 
Our students go through high school and university and it, they do tests and it's, did you pass the test? That's what we ask them. And that's the normal question. But when God puts us through a test, when God puts an impossibility in our life, then you and I are able to not just pass the test. We are to grow out of this test. And a lot of times we look at our past and we say that I have done something in my past and that is an impossibility for me to recover from. But it's important for us to learn from our past. Let's watch this video for a second. What was that? <laughs> the weather. Very peculiar. Don't you think? Yeah. Looks like the winds are changing. Ah, uh, change is good. Yeah, but it's not easy. I know what I have to do, but going back means I'll have to face my past. I've been running from it for so long. Ow! Jeez, what was that for? It doesn't matter! It's in the past! <laughs> yeah, but it still hurts. Oh yes, the past can hurt. But the way I see it, you can either run from it, or learn from it. Ah! You see? So what are you going to do? First, I'm gonna take your stick. No, 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 no! Not your All right. stick! Hey! Where are you- I, I love this video because it does show us something. We hold on to the past so much and this video is such a simple video that tells us that you could either let your past to continue to hurt you or you could let your past become a learning place for you and I. God puts us in impossible situations to help us change. Everything about the church, everything that we do in church, everything that we do in our own spiritual life should bring us to a place of transformation. It should bring us to a place of change. God puts us in impossible situations to stretch our undeveloped faith. A lot of times we need that. We need that. And sometimes it's a prayer that, you know, you and I don't want. We pray a lot of times, Lord, you know, don't put me in this situation. I would rather pray the prayer, Lord, put me in the situation that is impossible and show me your hand. It's important for us to understand that if an impossible situation that you're in right now, or there's a feeling of something that you can't do, then be okay with that and wait and see how God will remove that obstacle. There are certain things that seem to be impossible in our life, that a certain, you know, direction or a path that your life, you know, should I be going down this path or not? And it seems like there's impossibilities or there are obstacles. Those obstacles, when they are removed, know that they are from the hand of God. That they are from God's hand. God puts us in impossible situations to stretch out our undeveloped faith. God also puts us into these impossible situations to strengthen our eternal hope. All of a sudden, we're not just looking at the world anymore and the things that we're holding on to. We realize that there's a little bit more. Philip, for sure, after this miracle, if the Lord asked them again, where should we buy food for all these people? The second time of their, when they're going to feed people, let's say, I'm sure he did feed other multitudes. He didn't answer, we don't have enough money to buy all these food. For sure not. At this point, he knew that there was something more. 
that there's something more, that I no longer have to just look at what I could physically touch, but that there is something greater and something more. Impossible situations strengthen our eternal hope. That you and I sometimes are placed and we're living life here and we get into a place of despair. That, you know, is it worth continuing down the path and the struggle that we have should I continue to struggle with this addiction to fight against the addiction or not? Should I continue to fight against the shortcoming or not? Should I actually get out of my comfort zone or not? When you and I start to look at things that are eternal, then the answer is yes. Of course it's worth it. Of course it's worth it for me to step on my pride and to go and ask for forgiveness or to forgive someone. Of course this is the right thing for you and I to do. God puts us in impossible situations to also show us his incredible love. He could have easily sent the multitude away. He could have easily said, send the multitude away. That's what the disciples were saying. Send the multitude away. He could have said, yes, okay, let's send them away. Instead of sending them uh, in groups of 50, he could have said, okay, start sending them in groups of 50 away. But he didn't say that. He said, you give them something to eat. Why? Because of his incredible love and compassion for his children. We need to stop measuring our problems and our challenges according to our own ability. You know, we need to think about the impossible situations that you and I are facing right now. And I would challenge you to go home and write down what are you saying is impossible. Are you saying that this reconciliation with this particular person is impossible? Write it down. And then write down the things that you can't do. And there are things that you and I know that we can't do. There are things that you and I know. We can't go and if I'm having an argument with someone, I know that I can't change their mind. They have to do that on their own. There are certain things that you and I can't do. But there are 30 certain things that you and I can do. And these are simple things. And a lot of times we glance over the simple in our life and we feel like there has to be an overcomplicated solution to my problem or to this impossibility. You know, I heard one time the strongest prayer is sometimes the shortest prayer. The shortest prayer. Why don't we get on our knees and say, Lord, here's the situation. God help me. That's it. Why do we have to overcomplicate it and say, you know, a whole essay about how God I need you to help me he knows what kind of help you need he knows what kind of help I need you know there's a story about the perfect pot roast I don't know if you heard this story but the perfect pot roast they were saying they gave it to a bunch of, I don't know if this is actually a real story or not but anyways there's a good illustration and it was saying that there was a group of engineers that were given the problem and the problem was cook the the perfect pot roast and apparently the perfect pot roast is is that you have to get the internal temperature to 150. so they they're like the problem that was given is like here's a three pound pot roast cook this pot roast to perfection so different groups of engineers of course started different things uh, to do they all started to do different things one kid uh, did a series of experiments so he bought a bunch of pot roasts and he kind of like just measured the temperature and he put the pot roast in the oven and then he put a thermometer and a watch and whatever another one got a spreadsheet and did all these mathematical calculations and said okay my pot roast is three pounds 
or whatever, uh, my temperature is this, and he started some, some sort of calculation. And then there's one kid that just said, I have the solution. And he picked up the phone and he called his mom. He's like, mom, how do we cook the perfect pot roast? And sometimes that's what it is. Sometimes the most important answer or the biggest questions to life are not answered logically. They're answered relationally. And that's why it's so important for us to be a part of a community. And speaking with Amira, we were speaking um, like this past week. And we're talking about the blessed or the blessings that we have to be a part of a community. I don't think we understand, those of us that are sitting here, the blessing that we have to be a part of a community. There are many people, and think of it. Think of your neighbors. Think of uh, people at your work. They're not a part of a community sometimes. They just live their life on their own. They go to work, and they come home. They don't really mingle, and they don't really like have a community that they could, you know, come back and fall on and look for support and so forth. A community where they could just ask and say, hey, how do I cook a pot roast? Some people don't have that. We take this for granted that we have such a wonderful community, a wonderful family that you and I should be attached to at all times. We don't have to figure out things every time logically. Relationally is what is important. That type of connection with God is what we need. Don't try and connect to God on a logical level. Try and connect to God on a relational level. Stay connected with Him through adequate prayer or through time of prayer and through like an intentionality. I know I, I said this before and Father Bishoy said this to me when, when, we, when we were going to Zambia. He said, you're going to speak about Zambia for at least two to three years after you know, you come back from Zambia. And it's true, it's two years now and I'm st it's still like on my heart. And there are small things and maybe I'm not explaining all the situations that happened in Zambia. But one of the things that and the lessons that we learned was about being intentional in our relationship with God. Waking up in the morning, being intentional. In Zambia, we used to wake up at 6.30 or 7 o'clock for the purpose of spending quiet time. Spending time with God. I haven't done that since I got back from Zambia. Maybe I've done it a few times, but I, like I'm confessing, like I haven't done that because a lot of times now I set my alarm. I set my alarm for 7.30. I have to be at church at 8.30. I know that it takes me an hour to get ready. I know this. I, well, not an hour to get ready. Like, like a half hour to get dressed and a half hour to drive here. So it takes me an hour in order from my door to door. So I set my alarm at 7.30. Why? To get on with my day. Not with the intention of being with God, but to get on with my day. We need to have a true relationship with God. Pope Shenouda, of blessed memory, he says, If you pray, if you love, if you suffer, then you are a human being. But if you pray for those who mistreat you, and persecute you, love the ones who hate you, and endure hardship with patience and hope, then you are a human being in whom Christ dwells. That's the type of human being that you and I want to be. You and I want to be this. This human being that loves and prays and endures hardship with patience and hope. And we pray for those that hate us. And we, you know, we forgive those that have wronged us. And all of these things, 
Why? Because we want to be human beings in whom Christ dwells. But that seems like an impossibility to love those who hate you and to bless those who curse you. That seems like an impossibility. But we're okay with impossibilities. Why? Because we don't measure with our own stick. We don't measure with the wrong yardstick. We measure the stick according to God's ability. Today you, we see this simple lesson. That when he came to the disciples and said, where are we going to buy food for this? They quickly went and they just evaluated things according to their own ability. But today the Lord is saying, stop calculating the impossibilities in your life with your own ability, but calculate it according to God's ability. Our problems might be big, but they are small beside our big God. The world today needs Christians that believe in a big God. That we may say many things are happening in the world right now, but we don't have enough that we don't have enough to change or to affect. What is a small community like this in such a big world? It doesn't matter. The five loaves and the two fish indicate to us that little in God's hands is much in, in the world, is much in all our problems. So today, let's not measure things with our own ability, but let's remember that we truly worship a big God, a big God that has a big heart and that loves us truly from the depth of his heart. And glory be to God forever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.